Good morning. My name is Bailey Brislin, and I have had the pleasure of serving here as one of your Duke interns for the summer. Um, this morning, we, <laughs> we are in the last week of our sermon series from the book of Revelation, which means that if you're here today, you have made it through six weeks of sermons on Revelation. That means that Quincy and I have made it through preaching on Revelation twice. We'll probably be the only people in our preaching class next semester who can say that they've already preached twice on Revelation. Um, But as we begin to hear today the letter to the church at Laodicea, I just want to remind us a little bit about what has been happening so far in the book of Revelation. Each of the letters we've heard about over the past few weeks has been written to a specific church in Asia Minor. And all of the churches, all seven of them, received each of the letters, all seven packaged together. But every letter was specifically written to its context in a specific city. So today we find ourselves with the last letter, the letter to the lukewarm church, Laodicea. I invite you to listen today, as we have been, to the ways that this letter still has a word for us as a church and as individuals. Will you all pray with me? Loving and gracious God, we pray that you might open our hearts and still our minds so that we might hear what it is that you are saying to us today, God, to our church and to each of us individually. It's in your holy name that we pray. Amen. Many of the seeds of my own calling to ministry and faith formation began while I was a student in my church's youth group. Many of the counselors and volunteers in our youth program were raised in the church and grew up as members of the youth ministry themselves, which meant that there were a number of traditions and things that were passed on from generation to generation. And one of the most dearly held traditions each year was our closing banquet at the end of each school year. We would gather in the gym at our church and celebrate the life of our ministry from that year. But it was also a time to affirm and celebrate and send off the senior class. And each year, the senior class was given a plaque that was carved by one of our most beloved youth counselors. And on that plaque, he carved the words, What we are is God's gift to us. What we become is our gift to God. This sign, it hangs above my desk now in my room, and it's moved with me from dorms and apartments and homes as I've left high school. I've hung it on the wall in each space I've had since then, and in each space and season of my life, it's been a reminder to me of all the ways God has been and continues to shape me. It reminds me where I've been and all the ways who I am is first because of who God is. But it also reminds me that in each new season or space, the where I'm headed and the what I will become don't matter quite as much as the who gives me life and is shaping me. There have been a number of moments when this very sign hanging above my desk, this saying served as an urging to me to reorient my next steps, to be the person God was calling me to be for the world in that moment. A physical reminder for me to turn back to God. And as I reflected on the letter to the church at Laodicea, I began to think that they too were needing to be reminded that God is the source 
giver and sustainer of all life, they too needed to turn back to God. Laodicea was a community who truly seemed to have it all together. The city was well-resourced and connected on the east-west trade route. It was home to both Greek and Roman business officials, and it was the banking capital of Asia Minor. They were known for their production of black wool, for their theaters, for drama and music. They made eye salve from volcanic ash in the area. Now, the city was also very prideful and independent. They experienced earthquakes like many other cities that we've been hearing about, but they didn't accept help from the Romans who wanted to assist. They insisted on rebuilding themselves. The city was also well supplied with water from an aqueduct that carried from the neighboring hot spring in one town and a cool spring in the other. However, their water was lukewarm by the time it reached the city center. While they were well off in many aspects, the Laodiceans knew what it meant to have water that had become tepid and had lost its original freshness, its healing properties. They knew what it meant to be far from the source of water. What they didn't realize, however, was that they had also grown distant from the source of their life, faith, and hope. Laodicea had grown lukewarm as a church, and they likely were not expecting to receive the judgment they will in this letter because they weren't even aware of who they really were. Let us hear together the letter to the church at Laodicea. To the angel of the church in Laodicea write, these are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the origin of God's creation. I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot, I wish that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing. You do not realize that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. Therefore, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich and white robes to clothe you and to keep the shame of your nakedness from being seen, and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. I reprove and discipline those whom I love. Be earnest, therefore, and repent. Listen, I am standing at the door knocking. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in to to you and eat with you and you with me. To the one who conquers, I will give a place with me on my throne, just as I myself conquered, and sat down with my father on his throne. Let anyone who has an ear listen to what the Spirit is saying to the churches. Of all the letters, this is the only one that offers no praise whatsoever. I think if we're all being honest, we'd admit that we wouldn't want to be the recipient of a letter like this. Now, I've never been, you know, the best at receiving constructive criticism or judgment, 
especially when it's criticism I'm not expecting to receive. That's why when I was a kid and I would be excited to tell people that I was a singer, I'd be really surprised when people who heard me singing didn't think the same thing. And you'd think that I'd learn after hearing it a few times, but then when I didn't earn the role of Mary in the Christmas pageant, I was still devastated. Surely they hadn't heard me, right? And I think that the criticism to the church at Laodicea came as a bit of a surprise as well. But I think that they would have understood what Jesus was saying to them when he called their church lukewarm. In fact, I think because of their own reputation for having lukewarm water, they would have heard the charge of being lukewarm as an insult in ways we might not understand quite as well from our own context. We often hear Laodicea referred to in the modern day as the coffee pot church. As we heard in Children's Moment this morning, oftentimes we love to drink iced coffee or cold brew. We might want to drink a hot cup of coffee, but we're not likely to ask our coworker if we can have a sip of their coffee that's been sitting on their desk all day. But what does it mean when Jesus says that the church and a people are lukewarm? You see, they're not dealing with enemies in Laodicea or false teachers like the churches at Pergamum and Thyatira. They were not charged with being home to Satan's synagogue like the church at Smyrna. And they don't have threat of outside military invasion. They don't even really have a great deal of internal conflict within the city. Jesus calls the church lukewarm to emphasize to them his distaste with their prideful presentation of faithfulness, when in reality they have lost their zeal and are not confronting the present calling on their lives. Sometimes it's more comfortable to be in the business of maintaining a certain status or narrative we've created for ourselves. For the Laodiceans, that was wealth, prosperity, independence, pride, It's easier to go through the motions, doing what needs to be done, taking part in those things that will keep up the image and make us feel comfortable and confident that we are being faithful. I'm no stranger to this. For most of my life, I wanted to be a doctor. My identity was so wrapped up in this idea of what I wanted to do with my life, and I was clinging to this narrative that So much so that when God began nudging me in a different direction, when I started to think that maybe Jesus was knocking and trying to get me to see a different way for myself, I turned the other way. I didn't want to hear what I thought the Spirit might be saying to me, because that was scary. The idea of giving up all I had ever known or thought about myself was more comfortable or more scary than the idea of living into the person God was calling me to be. And now that my eyes have been opened and I can tell you right now that I do feel called to ministry, I can see how God had been calling me throughout each season of my life. I can tell you the ways that Christ had been knocking, the ways the Spirit had been speaking, but this wasn't so easy in the moment. There was a long period where I didn't listen, I turned away, 
And in doing so, I created distance between myself and God. The season right before I first recognized and leaned into a calling to ministry was the season of greatest doubt and confusion in my faith. You see, when we get caught up in the motions or seeking to uphold a narrative about ourselves that we've created, we can lose sight of our need to live a life prompted by the Holy Spirit. And in turn, we fall into lukewarm faith. We stop hearing that knocking of Jesus seeking to be at the center of all we're doing. The lukewarm church isn't necessarily the church that isn't doing anything. In fact, Jesus tells the church at Laodicea in verse 15, I know your works. The church isn't called out for being still or having a lack of programming or worship services, but for becoming complacent, stagnant, and comfortable in the ways they were living out their faith. And perhaps the reason Jesus has such a little tolerance for lukewarm, lukewarmness is that Christ sees each of us from the perspective of the cross. The letter opens by calling attention to Christ as the true and faithful witness. The Greek word for witness is the same word used for martyr. Jesus sees each of us for all we were created to be and for all the potential of who we can become. The lukewarm church has untapped potential. See, our journey to discipleship requires us to continually find those areas where we are being called out, but also called back to God. Opening the door when Jesus is knocking, that's about confrontation. We must confront the idea that Jesus does truly know us. He knows our actions and our hearts, every intricacy about us. But in coming into relationship with Christ, we're also set free from the narrative we've crafted from our, for ourselves. We can truly see and know who we are because of our faith and relationship with Christ. And when we have that, we do not need to be the most prosperous or the most pious or the most independent or intelligent or most likable. At the heart of each of these letters to the churches, we are reminded of God's abounding love and grace. When we do open that door and invite Christ into our lives, it's our whole selves in all of our messiness that gets to sit down at that table with Christ. You see, I'm reminded of the text in Luke's gospel on the road to Emmaus where the apostles have left the empty tomb in Jerusalem. They're traveling towards Emmaus, and as they're walking, Jesus comes up alongside them, but they can't see that it's him. And they begin talking, and they seem to be astounded that this man has no idea what's transpired over the last few days. The two apostles are talking about this man, Jesus, who was mighty in word and deed, but ended up being turned over and later killed. They could not see Jesus right before them, but they expressed their disappointment after thinking that perhaps Jesus would have been the Messiah. As they continue walking along, they invite Jesus into their home for the night, and we learn that when Jesus was at the table with them, he took bread, blessed it, and broke it, and gave it to them. 
And it was then, at that moment, that their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and then he vanished from their sight. And they said to each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he was talking to us on the road, while he was opening the scriptures to us? You see, it was around the table and over the gift of bread offered by Christ that they were able to truly see Jesus. But in this moment, they were also able to see themselves more clearly. They were able to ask that question, were our hearts not burning? Jesus was able to remove the blinders that kept them from seeing the fullness of reality. Jesus allows and invites us to see ourselves as the people God created us to be. We need only to enter into that relationship, to listen and to respond to Christ's involvement in our lives. And praise God, we too are invited to experience that same radical unveiling when we gather around the table here in this space together for communion. The beginning of our communion liturgy reads, Christ our Lord invites to his table all who love him, earnestly repent of their sin and seek to live in peace with one another. And this is the same invitation offered to the church at Laodicea in verse 19, when Jesus calls them to be earnest, which means to be sincere or convicted. He calls them to be earnest and to repent. Jesus sets up earnest faith as a counter to lukewarm faith. And earnest faith is less about finding balance and comfort and more about learning to live boldly in those places of holy tension. The message of the gospel does not call us to be comforted in all of our iniquities, but to be transformed and healed and to endure as Christ, who is our true and faithful witness, endured. It was often the people who were comfortable who found themselves being challenged and made uncomfortable by Jesus' ministry. But it was those who were sick and hurting and poor who were able to find comfort and healing at the hands of Jesus. But I think, to some extent, we all want to be challenged. We all want to be shaped and moved by the Spirit. We want to believe that Christ's knocking is for us that the invitation to the table is for us. We want to believe that God has more in stuff in store for us as well. The lukewarm church has become distanced from their source of life, from relationship with God. When Christ is knocking at the door, he calls out to the church, listen. And in this moment, we are reminded that our spiritual journey and our path of discipleship is never about us searching for an inactive God, but is instead about us becoming more attuned to the ways Christ is searching and longing to be present with us, for all the ways God is encountering us here and now. I think there's often this perception that Revelation is a book for the end times, something that speaks not for our lives today, but for a present reality or for a future reality. We can push that aside. But what I hope and pray you've been hearing over the past six weeks is that Jesus is deeply concerned with the intricacies of each of our lives in all of our particularities. 
in each specific time and context. Jesus speaks into the church's lives with words of praise and judgment, calling each of the churches to repentance for the edification of their souls. But this isn't just about eternal salvation. It's also about God's love for all of creation, a love so deep it is present to what is taking place right now in the hearts and lives of churches and individuals. When we love the idea of who we think we are, that narrative we may have crafted for ourselves, we have a lot to lose because it's a lot of work to maintain appearances and to uphold an identity when what we claim is material wealth or prosperity or popularity or security. We have to work to continue grabbing at the next thing that will make us feel more successful or rich or intelligent. But I think the message to the church and to each of us in this letter is that when we love the one who created us, the source of our being more than the idea of who we think we are or need to be, we are set free to be transformed by the grace of God. But we do have to be willing to let go of some things. We have to be willing to be uncomfortable. We have to be ready to earnestly resist evil injustice and impression in all forms towards all people. When we do those things, we can truly repent and reorient ourselves to God. But how can we be mindful of lukewarm faithfulness in our own lives? I think first about what earnest faith might look like. And the first thing that comes to my mind is the faith of children. Children, to me, are the antithesis of lukewarm faith. I mean, what a gift it was to be led and worshiped this morning by the kids from the Fine Arts Camp. And if you were here with us during the week of VBS, I believe you probably experienced a child whose heart was on fire for God. Children are often earnest in their questioning and exuberance. They tend to have an imagination and a wonder for discovering new ways to see the world. I think we can learn something from the children in our lives about what it looks like to expand our imagination and our wonder for what it means to be the church. One of the first steps of living earnestly as Christ called the church at Laodicea to do was to be able to see and admit their need. Church, we need to hold each other accountable and walk alongside of each other if we are going to earnestly seek to live in the direction of Christ. And that's what coming to this table does for us. It says that we need God and we need one another. I wonder who the people in your life are who challenge you to have a wider imagination. Who are the people in your life who aren't afraid to risk upsetting you or making you uncomfortable in order to call you out when you might need it. But not just people who might help you to see when you've become lukewarm. Who are those people who are going to be present with you as you seek growth and transformation? These seven letters are more than a list of do's and don'ts. It's not a naughty and nice list where some churches make the cut and others don't. I think we've come to see over the course of each of these letters and across our own experience 
that sometimes the church needs to be called out to be turned back to God. The good news, however, is that Christ and that invitation to repentance is calling us in towards love, to community, towards truth, freedom, and ultimately Christ is calling us in to experience new life. Listen, Christ is standing at that door, knocking. Are you ready to change your hearts and lives? May we be a people who earnestly seek to receive the gift of God's transformation in our own lives. And may what we become be a reflection of Christ's love and an offering of glory to God. Let anyone who has an ear listen to what the Spirit is saying. To Boone, UMC, to you, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.